Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Is the next big crash coming? And what is the next big trend? to make you money. It reminds me of that book, Megatrends. Okay? And then if we have time permitting at the end, are all tax deductions and credits created equal? But but the first thing I want to do is I got to do a little housekeeping. I always got to get the disclaimer out of the way. That's right. Folks, Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is educational and entertainment purposes only and not to be meant to be specific investment advice. If you need or want investment advice, contact your own advisor or reach out to us at Revere Asset Management for individual specific investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com. Okay, there we go. We're out of the way. Now, now, with me in the show today, I've got Senior Portfolio Manager and Shareholder Don Vandenborg, and we also have Michael Ramos on in lovely California. How are you, gentlemen? Couldn't be better. Perfect. Michael? Living the dream. Living the dream. So it's good on the East Coast and the West Coast. All right. And we're, we're kind of mid-country. Mid, mid yeah, right in between. All right. So, so the first thing, I, I came across this article, and I, I wanted to discuss this. I wanted to talk about this, you know, because it's kind of clickbait, and Don hates clickbait. Don't that's why, that's yeah. why I thought I've got to bring this up because it'll, it'll yeah. kind of get under what, Don's What a great call. way to open the show. But, but, but basically the article is, is the e- economy or the market's going to crash, okay? And, you know, what are the biggest risks? Is it Russia-Ukraine? Is it inflation-stagflation? Uh, I added this kind of one in myself. Is it stupid economic or political decisions? Um, <laughs> well, well because, that's... well, Congress, I mean, leave it yeah. to Congress. They, if, they, if they get a chance. Or, or, or the biggest canary in the coal mine, which was not even mentioned in this article, that's the real one. That's yeah. the real one we're going to get to. But very, very quickly, I'm going to go quickly through this article. And by the way, we all uh, we post these articles on. I don't know how you do it, Zach, but you put them down there as links yeah, the on the show, so yeah. people can want to read them. They don't have to take my word for it, <laughs> even though I'm a good-looking, honest guy. They, you know, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, and but humble. again, <laughs> what was That's that, Don? And humble. And humble. Thank you. Right. All right. So, so. This article's talking about the key factors influencing the U.S. economy and the market situation today, right? Yes. And if you kind of get the, now this is from, um, oh, I don't know, Advisor Insider or something, one of these, one of these uh, things that puts out articles for advisors, you know, and a lot of it is marketing to try to help you um, 
talk to your clients to help them stay the course with the pie chart, buy and hold stuff. So it is it toward the end, you kind of get the cheerleading uh, flavor of it. But there, I'm going to quickly go through this. Uh, the first uh, uh, bullet point is impact of the war in Ukraine on the U.S. economy and markets. So it said, you know, the situation in Ukraine has adversely ex- uh, um, affected our economy. Um, it, you know, it's caused uh, inflation, higher oil prices. And then not to mention, then the Federal Reserve came in and raised interest rates. And the equity markets will be down, are down so far for 2022. Now, the question they're asking is, are we, you know, one question they're asking is, are we, what are the effects of inflation? And it says continued inflation is the main reason for the Fed decision to raise interest rates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, higher interest rates affect the housing market due to higher mortgage rates. Uh, some genius wrote this. Um, and it, so it costs, it, the cost of borrowing goes up for many businesses. It affects consumer spending. Walmart noted consumer scaling back. Um, significant wage inflation is driving up the cost to companies, which in turn they, they pass on to you. Yeah. So the, 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 this part of the article is basically saying inflation costs people money in businesses and it raises the price of everything. Sure. Thank you, Captain Genius. Okay. <laughs> then it says, um, e- this is the part I like, economic crashes versus stock market crashes. So it says economic crashes occur when the U.S. Eco- economy essentially comes to a halt. Economic crash or total collapse is unlikely. They think it's unlikely going forward. Okay. They said, now, even the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009 was just an economic crisis. I don't know how they think that because the stock market was down 40%. It was one of the worst stock markets we've had since the Great Depression. I don't know where they get that. Right, like it's a bump in the road. Yeah, so it says stock market crashes are more common. The crash of 87, known as Black Monday. 2008 and 2020, that's the COVID crash. And then obviously the Great Depression. Um, um, It says the market crash of 1929 triggered the Great Depression. And then it says, we experienced a crash this year. I don't know if I'd call it a crash, but it definitely was a bear market. Uh, It says S&P slipping into a bear market in June, falling over 20%, right? Yeah. Okay, now it says, is a recession, is a U.S., is a a U.S., recession likely. Okay. And it says the question of or not, whether we're in a recession is open to debate. Okay. It says on one hand, the unofficial, but often accepted definition is two declining quarters of GDP. Uh, no, that's the classical definition in every economic textbook up until probably last year yeah. when they're trying to rewrite it. But, and now it says the official declaration of a recession comes when a group of academics at the National Bureau of Economic Research, uh, specifically from its Business Cycle Dating Committee, I didn't even know there was such one, Business cycle dating. Um, yeah. makes a declaration that we're in a recession. So we got to hear it from up high. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to tell us because we we're not smart enough to figure it out ourselves. Right. Um, but they say and often this comes a few months later. So it still may um, come out. But it's talking about a few factors to point to. Uh, a year-to-date decline in the stock market high inflation, consumer sentiment, and you're seeing a huge upswing in Google searches for recession. That's, that's an indicator for lower consumer sentiment. Mm. Higher overall interest rates that are fueling mortgages. Now, here's the defense. On the flip side, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, Fed chairman, consistently insisted we are not in a recession. Uh, wow. This is the same Fed that has told you that inflation is transitory. Uh, right. So I wouldn't believe anything they said anyway. Nobody here is doing a bad job. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Um, uh, now it says now, and they also point to the amount of jobs that have have been created and the job market is still pretty strong. You know, my, my comment to that is when you completely close down the economy because of COVID and then you reopen it, of course, you're going to create jobs even in a slowing economy because nobody was working. Now you're putting everybody back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even higher mortgage rates, the housing market remains mo- robust in many areas of the country. So in a lot of areas of the country, the real estate has already rolled over and prices are down about 10%. Yeah. But in the strongest areas, including DFW, Texas, mainly Florida, sure. prices have just started rolling over a little bit. Yeah. But the turnaround time from, you know, just two, three months ago, you put a house on the market, you get five cash offers a week. Crazy. Now you're getting people wanting to get an inspection. They're looking at the house. It's taking a few months to close instead of just a couple of weeks. People were waving inspections, Danny. It's wild. Well, not anymore. Good. So that, so that's Good. changing. <laughs> so, so, so here's the part that will make Don cringe. It says, what should investors do now? Generally, it's better to take a longer term view. Okay. And, and it goes down It says market. It's got this guy from the San Diego firm, financial firm, market corrections, greater than 10% have occurred in the S&P 10 of the last 20 years. So they're saying 50% of the years, you get a drawdown of more than 10%. Yes, that's absolutely true. What they don't tell you is that many of those corrections are only 11, 12, 13, 14%. I don't want to say shallow because it still hurts and it's scary, Mm. but it's not 18 or 19%. Once you hit 20, that's a bear market, right? And so it's not so much you necessarily need to avoid the 11 or 12% drawdown, but you really want to avoid the 20, 30, 40% drawdown because that gets you, takes you years um, to recover. So then it says rejoice over the gains, take what the market gives you and continue to focus uh, things within your control because see, they assume that you can't control your drawdowns and you don't have rules to get back in. So therefore, you can never sell. Mm. Okay, now they are talking about, and this one thing I agree with. They said there are positive economic signals on the horizon. So they said that inflation has moderate. Now, when they say inflation moderated, it basically stopped going up and it pulled back just a little bit because oil, energy went down in price, and so it's kind of stalling right here. But they are right. That's a key uh, factor for the stock market because if inflation does in fact slow down or reverse and start coming down pretty much because we're going into recession. They're killing demand. The stock market actually could rally. So you could actually see us go into a deeper recession while the market actually rallies. And that's why you've always got to separate uh, main streets from wall street. Mm. So then it says, uh, basically is the economy going to crash? Ukraine, higher interest rates, inflation, all those things I just mentioned says nobody can predict the future. Uh, but the, it doesn't seem as bad as the Great uh, uh, Depression or even the Great Recession of 07 to 09. So they're basically saying, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be just fine. And the problem is I've got trust issues. Yeah. I've got trust issues with my politicians. I've got trust issues with the Fed. And I've got trust issues with Wall Street. Therefore, I'd like to take the bull by the horns and control my own destiny rather than just um, um, relying on what they tell me to do and, and how they tell me to do it. Now, here is the thing that I did want to bring up. Because yeah. the biggest, like I said, the canary in coal mine, the biggest 
uh, outlier, black swan event, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about this on the radio a few months ago. The Chinese real estate market literally is on the verge of collapse. It's imploding right now. And the reason that's so important is China, the Chinese people don't trust the stock market as much. They are, they are much smaller participants in the stock market like Americans, and they're much bigger participants in the real estate. So given a choice, they'll always go buy real estate versus a stock market. But now they're getting scared because real estate is pulling back and selling off and going down 20%. And they're starting to freak out and they're trying to get. And so some of these banks that had all these real estate holdings in their portfolio are literally insolvent. They're going, they're going bankrupt. And so the Chinese people realize that and they're trying to get money out of the banks and the banks are telling them, no, yeah, it's our money. It's not your money. Not, see how I tied that in with our show? Your it's money. not your money. It's That's our right. money. Hey, you got the and, and, they're, and they're taking it. Yeah. And so, but, so the question is, and so the Chinese government and their uh, central bank, the PBOC, they're actually injecting money in the economy. They're lowering their interest rates while all the other economies around the world are raising interest rates because they're trying to kill inflation. But they're also doing stimulus and trying to grease the wheels. The question is, will it work? Because can they keep it contained within China or will it cause contagion globally? So our 2007 to 2009 great recession was actually caused by our real estate crisis. That's what precipitated our whole meltdown. And then it spread throughout the world. So it started on our shores and went overseas. Mm -hmm. The question is, Will it start in China and come west? Now, that is the million-dollar question. And that, to me, is more important than the Russian-Ukraine thing or even the stagflation or even dumb economic and political decisions that the uh, Congress is doing. Mm -hmm. So all of those things, I think, are, are important. But I think you really need, as an investor... You need to keep an eye on what is going on overseas. The biggest risk is overseas, not here. So, Don, I want to ask you, how are, how are you going to know, or I know how you're going to know, but let the listeners know how you're going to know and what you're going to be monitoring to let you know if, it's, if we're starting to get contagion. Well, Dan. <laughs> and remember, this is a show. At this yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cliche at this point, but I'm going to watch the charts, Dan. Zach, if you can show uh, show my screen. Ooh, what's this, this? This beautiful chart is the one that refutes everything that Captain Obvious in the article that Dan just read. Uh, you know, saying don't worry about it, think long term, blah blah blah. You got to tell somebody two years from retirement to think long-term when we're a under the 200 day moving average. That's this black line under the screen. This is when all bear markets and severe bear markets occur. The maximum that we're down this year so far in this bear market, number 13 since 1968 was 24 and a half%. We need a 32.5% gain to get back there. So if you were coming into this year thinking you had a million dollars to retire and uh, all of a sudden you had a big drawdown, how much time do you have to get 32% back? And who says we're not going to go lower than this? The average of 
the uh, six worst bear markets since 1968 is a 44.5% drawdown, which needs an 80% gain to get back to even. This is the chart that you worry about if you, you should worry about it all the time because getting out of the way when you're under the 200 day moving average allows you to grow your capital from a much higher asset base than it does if you've had one of these massive drawdowns. But particularly if you're uh, a few years from retirement, you can't afford to go through one of these. That's the concept of sequence of returns. The market returns you know, on average eight, 9% every year, but it doesn't give you that every year. Uh, we had a new client come aboard who uh, he was talking to us and talking to another advisor. The other advisor just uh, added 8% to his current balance to assume that's where he would be starting when he retired at the end of this year. Well, minus 24% is a lot different from plus 8%, but guys that put charts like that together are salesmen. They're not technicians. They don't understand when risk is great in the market. And this magic black line here, the 200-day moving average, when you're underneath that, you just need to take caution. And if you want to think about when do I get back, you have on the screen, the green one is the 21-day, the red one is the 50-day. Personally, what we do is we wait till we're back above the 21-day before we take uh, any serious money, put any serious money back into the market after we get out of the way. And sometimes there'll be a couple of paper cuts. You'll get above it for a day or two. You'll get back below it. Uh, our losses are minimal when that happens. But when you can ride uh, a 12, 14% gain off the bottom like this, uh, that big trend covers all these little paper cuts of getting in and getting out. So it's a combination of the three time frames that we talk about in every one of our videos. Uh, short term, looking using the green 21 day moving average. Intermediate term using the red 50-day moving average. Most importantly, the black line, the 200-day long-term moving average. When you get below there, that's when risk picks up significantly and you really need to be on your toes and be aware uh, that one of these situations can occur. Every bear market bottoms beneath the 200-day moving average. Usually the drawdown from the high until you get below the 200-day moving average is around 12%. So even if you just use that, yeah, you would draw down 12%. Well, you only need about 13.5% to get back to even if you pull the plug when you were under the 200-day moving average. Uh, we, got, we poked our head back a couple of times above the 200-day during this pullback, but if you look at the NASDAQ 100, uh, this is the other key index that we keep an eye on. Uh, right to the penny, just about. It failed uh, on a bounce up to the 200 there, to the 200 there. If you use the QQQ, this is a more focused NASDAQ 100. Right there, the 200-day failed. Right there, the 200-day failed. We didn't quite get to it this time on this bounce back up, but on the S&P 500 chart that I'm showing, that's exactly where we failed, the 200-day moving average. But of course, buy and hold people say that charts like this are the equivalent of using voodoo, so we're never going to convince them to get out of the way. And we need them on the other side of the market to buy our stocks when we're selling them. So uh, if everybody thought the same, the markets wouldn't work. So, but you can be one of the educated few that have a plan on how to protect your capital. Uh, if you follow a few rules that we talk about in every one of our charts. And if you've got an, a pie chart advisor, show them this chart. I'd be curious to see their reaction to it.
Yeah, by the way, I want to clarify one thing. And you can actually see if you put a long-term trend line from that, you see how it's making higher, lower highs? So, right, yeah, right there where you were, those three top port, yeah, right there. And you can take that trend line right across and see it's still underneath that trend line. You can't, you, you can't get above it. But I do want to clarify when you say we were down 23 or 24% this year, you're talking about the markets, not us. We were not, we never even broke double digit. So I just want to clarify. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta stop saying that. I say that a lot. When you I say, say we, you mean the markets? Yeah. yeah, the markets. Yeah. The markets were down. I gotta 20%. clarify. I gotta say the market. I have yeah. to pinch myself or something like that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the point being, folks, is price is truth, and if if the market is a very good leading indicator, in fact, it's one of the most accurate leading indicators out there, and so it's gonna start doing acting. You know, the price is gonna be reflected in what's upcoming quickly. And so, like I said, if the Chinese real estate really is going to start causing contagion and really going to get in trouble, you'll see our market start to roll over and sell off and you need to get defensive. Or if inflation picks up again, or we have some kind of supply disruption or geopolitical, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the reason is. Okay. All that matters is, do you have a plan and are you going to take action? I know so many people that it's analysis by paralysis. They overanalyze and they, and they cannot make a decision. They cannot decide to finally do that. And I hate to say this, diagnosticians like doctors that do, like my dad was a radiologist. He just, the more tests he got, yeah. the more perfect answer he thought he would get. You know, and engineers, because they think you can get so precise and so precision and, but they, they, they want to keep analyzing stuff. And sometimes you just got to make the decision and, and do it and right or wrong. And you're not always going to be hundred percent. You're going to be wrong sometimes, but if I'm, I'd rather, I'd rather get stuck out wishing I was in the market than stuck in the market wishing I was out. Right. Okay. There's too many times when making money is easy and everything lines up that, that it's smooth sailing, that it's, it's, fine. But when it's riskier times, I want to be, have some cash or some defense. Mm -hmm. And if the market goes up, just because the market has a high risk, doesn't mean it won't go up. Right. And I've got to be at peace with, okay, the market's going up a little bit without me. I'm fine. Or I'm only 50% invested because it's very dangerous because there's going to be times when you keep most of your principal intact. And like you said, you're down single digit, the market's down 25, 30%. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're going to get a huge opportunity on the upside. All right. So we've talked about that and we've talked about that on other shows, but we, I just want to reiterate that because you're seeing all these, I'm seeing all these articles now. And, and by the way, the media outlets and the financial publications, a lot of times they write stories after the fact, like, so the market, you know, sells off hard for two weeks they actually have to come up with a story of why that happened. Right. Whether it's true or not, it may, it, that may be the real reason or it may not, but it's in hindsight, it doesn't help you. Right, they will that's, provide context. That's yeah. why price is truth is important because you'll start seeing the price erode immediately but, rather than before you read the article. Well, now we've had a nice big bounce and we've got three to four weeks of a nice, we've had a nice month, nice gains, Yeah. right? And now all these articles are, oh, see, if you just stayed the course or everything's going to be fine or the market's coming back, it's over. Actually, this may just be a bear market rally 
and we may be rolling back over. Mm. I mean, the market's been weak the last couple of days, got a little choppy. Well, yesterday wasn't as weak, but the two days prior was weak. And today, currently at the moment, we're taping this Friday morning. It's roughly 10.15 10, yeah. Central Time. The market's kind of weak. And so that's why you need to have a plan. Yeah. All right. All right. Enough said about that. We are now going to go to the 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 topic du jour today. The yes. big topic is what? Because we're always looking for areas and a story that can that can make you the investor money. Do research. Don't just listen to some good looking guy on the radio. Just because we tell you to go That's go right. in this sector or this stock, don't just go buy it. But <laughs> but the fundamentals the, the fundamentals are all lining up for various reasons, and we're going to go into that. Uh, Michael has done a deep dive Ooh, on this, and yeah. he's done a lot of research. So I'm going to let him take the lead. Michael, what is one of the hottest sectors in your opinion? story for a little while now it's not new um it's been around but the trend is definitely starting to accelerate and there are um it's the, the trend is consolidated and now is a good time to get involved um and and now it's sort of become center stage the fundamental story has existed if you've if you've uh done deep dives and looked into it and understood it but now is when um it's sort of becoming more popular and apparent to um a larger group of investors, not just um, those sort of on the fringe that that look into these things. Um, so I, I think you were muted about is, for your first couple words, Michael. I think you were muted for oh that sector is. So you didn't say it. Okay, here it comes. Yeah. Drum roll, please. <laughs> All right. So so that sector is um, within energy. It's the natural gas space and natural gas. Um, there there's a lot of fundamental reasons why it's it's going to be important going forward but the main reason it's getting attention now is because of the energy crisis in europe and europe i won't get into the politics and i won't discuss um the the poor energy policy that they've had there that's gotten them into this situation but now they're realizing that they've they perhaps relied a little too much on um the resources they were getting from russia and in a crunch where they still need energy and they're not getting the, the gas from Russia, they're kind of in a pinch because they're not producing it themselves. It's not easy to import. And if you don't have those pipelines feeding your country um, and most of the countries in, in Europe, aside from France, that has done investments in nuclear energy, get, get most of their gas from, from Nord Stream, which is the pipeline that comes from Russia. So today, the if if you look at energy prices in 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 Europe, Germany's PPI came in at at thirty seven point two percent today, and the reason for that is because of these these energy input costs that go into the the production. And we've spoken about this in prior podcasts of uh, why the PPI will stay elevated, and that will feed then into CPI, but. Europe is in a very difficult place right now. Um, a lot of businesses can't operate with such high energy costs, and they're in desperate need of of this um, natural gas that they're no longer getting from from Russia. And they are still getting a little bit, but way less than than they were previously. And there's a huge, huge um, national security risk for all of Europe that if in the winter. Russia really decides to take this award to the next level, 
and completely cuts off the, the Nord Stream pipeline and their access to natural gas, they, they've already started resorting to coal. Um, but aside from that, if you look um, the Google trends in, in Europe, a lot of people are, are looking up firewood. That's the, uh, that's like the, the main, um, the main trending search right now throughout, throughout Europe and especially in Germany. So that's not a great position. That's not where you really want to be. But luckily, there's a country called the United States that is essentially, I would compare it to the Middle East um, and like Saudi Arabia of natural gas. We have so much natural gas that we don't really know what to do with it. We've been, we, we have so much natural gas that up until recently, we were flaring most of it. Um, and now what, what we can do is there, there's a company like, like Chenier, which is the largest um, LNG export terminal. So I'll, I'll get into that in a second, how, how you liquefy and export it. But basically, all of this natural gas now is, is able to be exported to places where, where it's really needed. And the hotspot right now is Europe. But another fundamental theme before Europe and this war started and that even came into play was the fact that the entire, the rest of the world, all of these developing nations are growing at such a speed that, that they, don't, they don't have the resources to be able to keep up with that growth. So they need to import energy. And the way they do that is they use whatever's cheapest. They don't have the infrastructure for solar or wind or whatever clean energy we're trying to do at home. So they've been burning a lot of coal and the number one, um, the number one source of energy for these emerging markets is coal. And then number two is natural gas. And if we really want to help the environment and help these, these emerging markets grow, they need access to more natural gas. Otherwise they're going to continue burning coal. So natural gas has been a big theme because of that, um, as well. So now you've got that and then Europe on top of it. Um, so do you want me to go into the whole process of, uh, like the LNG terminal and how they function? Where, where do you want me to take this down? Well, no, no, no. I, I want you to go into that one second. Well, I would like to piggyback and make one comment. So another very bullish fundamental reason that gas is going to be strong in the U S besides the global demand is here at home, you've got this, you know, these policies, these green new deals and all the, all the environmental, you know, push toward electric. Well, it is the natural gas is much cleaner than, I mean, how do you produce electricity? Well, you burn coal to create the electricity or, or, you know, oil and gas, regular oil, right? So natural gas is the cleanest of those, you know, kind of, you know, dirty energies, if you will. And that's really going to be the trend. So at the very least, it's going to be the main energy source for the transition. Okay. And so it's not just the global demand. It also is the political, the politically acceptable solution. Right. So anyway, go, go ahead, Alex. I mean, Michael. Uh, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the fine jar and, and, is up also, to seven hundred and fifty-seven dollars, Dan. Yep, the fine yep. jar for you, up fast. Yeah. And in terms of in terms of the need for natural gas, even if in the U.S. we really don't want to use fossil fuels and we we decide to only use solar and wind, however you want, the the price of natural gas and these these producers um, and the export terminals are going to continue having a very strong fundamental business. Because at the moment, what they're focused on and the reason why prices keep going higher in the U.S. 
is not necessarily because we've increased our demand for natural gas, but it's the arbitrage between the prices in the U.S., the Henry Hub prices, which, which is how it's measured in the U.S., versus TTF, um, which is the, 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 the Dutch uh, gas futures price, which is how natural gas is priced in Europe. And if you look at current prices in the U.S., the way it's measured is per MMBTU, which is just the, um, like, instead of per pound or whatever, however you want, it's, it's measured in MMBTU. That, that's the, the, the measurement of, uh, instead of barrels for gas, it's MMBTUs for natural gas. And in the U.S., our Henry Hub price at the moment is just over $9. But in Europe, the price per MMBTU is $236. So that, that arbitrage is 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 going to put continue putting pressure on us prices because europe will will seek those natural gas resources wherever possible and if we have that opportunity to sell it overseas then we're going to do that and it's not just in europe where it's high as well in asia they have another way of measuring it it's it's a different name but it's also extremely elevated relative to to henry hub prices so the, those um yeah that that arbitrage opportunity will exist for a while um, U.S. producers of natural gas, um, the, the fundamentals will be very supportive, in my opinion, of uh, their business for for the foreseeable future, and it's it's a good uh, it's a good space to be in, and it also is becoming more accepted in the U.S. So a lot of the the green policy was very against fossil fuels in general and fracking and um, anything related to to fossil fuels but a lot of studies are coming out and a lot of people are are more are welcoming more the idea of natural gas as this um transition fuel because a lot of energy policy is based on aspiration rather than than practicality <laughs> and you can't just switch over our our infrastructure overnight you've still got to feed those power plants with something it's called and, reality and natural <laughs> Exactly. Reality is, is really starting to, um, to set in. And, and if you want something that's clean, accessible, cheap, and can provide that transition, it's natural gas. So for, for those, those are just three of the, the main reasons why it's, it's um, really at center stage. And, and I think um, or I, it, it should be a theme going forward. But um, it, it looks as though the market is, um, I, I'm not the first one to discover this. Prices are are high they're at multi-decade highs uh, and the, the natural gas producers eqt which is the largest uh in north america if it were a country it would be the i believe the 13th largest producer of of natural gas in the world and they uh if you look at their stock price it's it's gone up more than tenfold uh, from, from the lows so uh but it, i think it has a lot yeah. lot of room to continue going Can higher you can you talk about some companies that a get it out of the ground, b transport it, c get it on the ship, uh, or pipeline it to the port so that we can load it on the ships and transport it, and then send it over to Europe? Can you talk about those are called like downstream, midstream, upstream, and uh, stock for each of those? EQT, yeah, the one so you mentioned, is is the extraction. EQT is the upstream. So what they do is upstream is focused on the production of the natural gas. So they're the ones who actually drill for it and pull it out of the ground um, through through different processes. Um, so EQT is the largest upstream producer. And then EQT has partnerships with companies like Chenier, 
And what they do is um, through the pipelines, then they ship um, or, or they funnel the, the natural gas through pipelines and they get to these terminals because you can't just ship uh, gas on a, on a boat. It, it, it's not possible. It takes up so much space. Um, it's very volatile. So what they do is they liquefy it under extreme pressure and very cold temperatures. They liquefy this natural gas so that they can then ship it and transport it takes up way less volume and they can, it, it's just a lot safer to do. And, and it's possible to do that way. It's the only way that it's possible to do. Um, companies like Chenier, ticker LNG, is the export terminal. And they're the, the sort of final step before it, it gets on the ships. So what they do is they liquefy it, put it on ships, and then you have the shipping companies that take it over overseas. And a couple of those um, shipping tankers uh, you would so they're called um I forgot what they're called I, I think they're they're dry they're they're called dry gas um tankers i think scorpio tankers i don't really look into the tankers too much because uh, that's a market i'm not super familiar with but in terms of the actual the infrastructure and the, the liquefaction you've got lng and then you've got the producers eqt um, and then another company that's doing something really interesting is New Fortress Energy, ticker NFE. And what they've done is they actually have, so the issue with Europe as well that I didn't mention is not only do they have this need for natural gas, but the way that their infrastructure is set up is that they get all of their natural gas through these, through these pipelines, but they don't have the same way you have an export terminal to ship that LNG you need an, an import terminal to regasify uh, that liquid natural gas. So when these ships arrive on the coastline of Europe, it, they, they can't just pull the gas off the ship and start feeding their power plants. They need, they need a, a, a terminal there that receives the ships and then turns that liquid gas back into usable gas. And this company, New Fortress Energy, what they've developed are floating, uh, floating regasification ships where they can actually get that gas from one ship, regasify it on another ship with their with with the machinery they have, and then feed um feed these these power plants with that with that gas. So New Fortress Energy is another sort of intermediary company where where they where they benefit a lot from this too, and and Europe has a lot of need for these floating um, regasification terminals. So uh, EQT, get it out of the ground. LNG, get yes. it to the ports. We own LNG. And once you get it to the ports and load it onto the ships, NFE with the ship that actually can combine it back or send it back from a liquid state to a gaseous state to get it back on shore over in Europe. Is that a brief summary? Correct. Correct. All right. And, and those, those those ships have to keep the liquefied to keep it liquefied. It's got to be negative two hundred and sixty degrees Fahrenheit, which is uh, one hundred and sixty-two Celsius for you. Uh, not working on Fahrenheit. Pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty cold. That's yeah. pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's Are you really sure about uh, I mean, that the Fahrenheit way... to Celsius conversion. That that's what it, I, that's Ooh. what I was thinking too. But that's what it says. I'm I'm I. That's at www.energy.gov. Oh, well, it's a government. Maybe it is wrong. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I couldn't resist. That was, you know, low-hanging fruit yeah. there. 
anyway. Um, but so the fundamentals are completely intact and it's the demand is growing. By the way, the Ru- Russians, uh, Putin or uh, the Russian, uh, uh, they believe that the uh, natural gas is going to go up 140% from here. Now, obviously, they have a, uh, a prejudiced interest because they're selling it. And even though uh, Europe has cut down, they're still selling it over to Asia. So it, it, all, this, all these issues and problems in the price, the inflation with natural gas and regular oil has actually helped Russia and helped their economy. They're actually making tons of money. So the war really did not slow them down, and these sanctions or whatever actually didn't slow them down either. Mm. It just it helped them and put more money in their coffers. Um, but anyway, now, so here's the big question. Uh, and I guess I'll put this one to you, Don. If you're an investor, would you be just bird dogging these and looking for a good entry point, or would you buy them from here? In other words, are they too extended at this point right now because they have already had a nice run? Let's start off with EQT. And Michael, I believe you own this personally. Is that right? I do. Yes. Okay. So EQT just broke out of a very nice cup and handle. Oh, yeah. uh, and it had one day of a of a breakout that reversed, pulled back the next day, bounced right off the ADMA. So retesting the pivot, 50% of all stocks that break out above uh, a pivot point from a solid base will revisit the pivot. And now it's just right above, 2% above the pivot four days after the breakout. This chart looks fantastic. You've got a 12-month relative strength rating of a 99. Let's take a look at the three-month relative strength 89 so a little bit weaker but after forming a base if you're still at 89 that's a that's a damn good uh, uh three month relative strength rating they just reported earnings on 727 their earnings were up 999% from 6 cents a share to 83 cents a share uh they went from losing money last year to making a boatload of money this year uh EQT for the way it's positioned, let's take a look at the fundamentals going forward. 2022, they're supposed to earn 415 uh, with a PE of 22 and a 350% growth rate. That's pretty impressive. And then 2023, uh, $8.01, still growing from from uh, this year to next year by 93% with a PE ratio of 22. That gives it a peg ratio of below one. Anytime you can see below one for a growth stock or for stocks that are these aren't traditional growth stocks, but they're exhibiting growth characteristics because they've got the N in CanSlim, something new. And uh, this energy shortage is certainly something new. And uh, EQT looks fine. LNG, I had this on my list. Michael said, hey, I've researched this company uh, quite a bit. Their fundamentals are absolutely solid. Uh, came up to the pivot point, formed a beautiful little handle here attempted to break out when it did uh we bought it and now up 10 percent from the pivot uh in 16 days uh light volume consolidation today after a move to all-time highs well i think it's all-time highs let's go to a weekly chart yep all-time highs uh so chenier this is the uh transport pipeline company and then the last one was is that is, uh, hang on is, is that is that green the 21 exponential that that line green line is a twenty one exponential. Yep, and this is on the twenty one twenty one list. Oh, so on that one, on LNG specifically, if you don't own it, for the listener that doesn't own it, how would you try to 
sneak into that? Do you, you well, have to wait for a pullback? It's inc- yeah, it's it's extended 8.8% from its 21-day uh, moving average. It's ATR or its average true range. How much does it move in a day is 3%. So it's almost three ATR extended from its uh, 21-day exponential moving average. Um, It's firing on all cylinders. Maybe you could sneak in on a pullback to the ADMA. It's only one ATR extended from the ADMA, which is around 160. Uh, But it's acting well, just a nice tight base, 20% base uh, that it formed and broke out. It's also a stage one base that says this could have a lot of room to run. LNG looks fine. NFE, this is uh, the floating ship company that Michael talked about. This broke out of a cup base uh, back in uh, eight, back on eight nine, and it made uh, a very quick run up to twenty percent above its pivot. Only the the most the strongest of stocks do that within two to three weeks. This is one that did it. Pull back very nicely now to the ADMA on below average volume. It is extended. Uh, it is uh, 8% above uh, the 21-day exponential moving average. But if it forms like a little, maybe a three-weeks tight pattern here and then breaks out of that would be a great entry point. Look at the massive numbers on it again, too. 200 and, uh, making $2.08. This year, 343% earnings growth with a 61 PE, 111% earnings growth. So again, a PE of about 0.5. The fundamentals line up with the technicals when they do. Uh, That's like our favorite situation. And look at the big blue bars here. Uh, One on its earnings or shortly after its earnings and then another one after it broke out. Uh, Big big volume bars, that's what you want to see. The big blue bars like that. all three of them uh, are fine. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what to buy. You got to make your own decisions. We're happy to be in the LNG. It's our largest position at six percent. Our largest individual stock position, I should say, uh, at over six percent. And uh, those are three. Uh, Michael did a great job diving into the industry. Uh, the fundamentals very clearly in favor, and those are three solid stocks as a way to play them. And folks, listen. Remember, just about four, I don't know about uh, at the beginning, near closer to the beginning of the year, you had the commodity stocks all heat up, and they all just went on a tear, right? And they lasted for a couple months, and then everybody all FOMO kicked in, and everybody wanted to get in, and then all of a sudden they turned around and they rolled over hard. So you still have to be careful. You still have to be judicious. Um, personally, I think this particular fundamental story and. This subsector of just natural gas is much stronger than all the other commodity plays like lumber, because with you know real estate slowing down and consumers pulling in their talons, you may have lumber slowing. But with natural gas, you need to heat your house. You need it for com. I mean, it's just more of a uh, of a of a necessity, and it's it, and the fundamental story is still intact. Demand is actually growing, not shrinking. And in some of these other commodities demand is actually starting to slow down some. And that's why you've got to be, and they move rapidly. Commodity stocks are pretty quick, both on the up and down side. So you can't just buy, you know, people always say, oh, yeah, I just, this is a stock to own forever or just stick the certificate in your drawer and don't look at it. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's crazy talk. So 
Anyway, all right, so have we wrapped that up pretty good, or is there anything else we want to comment on that? Michael? I, th- I think that's that's pretty good. And then also, Dan, Dan you're going to post um, some links with, with some articles if people want to dive a little deeper into natural gas. Oh, and yeah, I yeah. I highly recommend that. that um, there, there's a video that, that goes through. It's a short video, very easy to follow, and it goes through just the, uh, the necessity of natural gas and why it, it should be and most likely will be the transition fuel. Yes, that'll, be, right. that'll be in the show description. Scroll down. Scroll and, down. And yeah, that. all as the links are at the bottom of this. Watching this episode. Okay, yeah, go go for it. And that is that's on YouTube or is yeah. that where? Okay. YouTube, Vimeo should be on the website too. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so lastly, I wanted to talk about. Remember, I said that you know these the if we have time that these the tax policies uh, are ta- are all tax uh, uh, deductions and tax credits created equal. Yes. Well. Some things are indexed to inflation. Others are not. So you you guys know that if you have an investment loss in any one year, the stock market's bad or real estate or whatever, and you've got capital losses net for the year, you can offset $3,000 against ordinary income and then carry the rest of the loss forward to offset future gains, right? Yeah. They have never indexed that $3,000 loss and so, you know, and, and if you would index it, it would be much higher than the 3,000. I'm trying to look at the date they did that. Oh, that was in 1978. So that's been stuck since 1978. I mean, that should be like $5,000 now, right? Yeah. And, and that's okay. I mean, for capital gains, that's more for people that are middle class or upper middle class or even wealthy. That's, that's a little different. I'm not, but some of these uh, credits for childcare, for child care and for things like that that affect the the uh, lower class, I think that, that those are important and they need to index that. In fact, I think we just need to have a, a uh, Dan's inde- in Indexed Inflation Everything Act where every, every, tax, every tax deduction and every credit should be indexed to inflation. Why not? Otherwise, it's, you're not being fair and equitable. It's just, it's just, it's just not right. Anyway, I'll get off my bully pulpit. One last thing. Um, You know that um, the Democrats in the, in Congress now, Mm -hmm. and I'm not taking sides. I think they're both sides are just the prevailing power. Yeah, they're, they're just, they're just, yeah, yeah, they're all, they're all, there's too many insiders and not enough people representing the people, but they're floating this billionaire's tax again. Because it sounds good. It sounds like we're just going after the people. It's really $100 million and more. But they're talking about the, a billion billionaires or more, and they're going to do a 20% across the board tax, mm. right? Yeah. The problem is it's uh, on, their, on any income. The problem is they're talking about unrealized capital gains, too. So if you buy something, if you're doing private equity or you're doing a company that's a startup mm-hmm. and you're helping seed some new technology that'll benefit mankind, benefit everybody, right? Yeah. And, and, and bring costs down to consumers. Well, if, if you don't have a willing buyer and a willing seller, in other words, like when you go argue on your house, if I'm going to the tax authority, I'm trying to lower the price and make it look like it's worth less, right? Yes. So my tax are lower. If I think it's, if I'm trying to sell it, I want to dress it up, put lipstick on the pig, and make it look more valuable. So I sell it for more, right? Uh-huh. So you really don't have a really. It's it's kind of 
arbitrary. There's not really a hard, but when I'm, when you got a house for sale, you got a willing buyer and a willing seller, you know what that is worth. Right. Just like on a stock. If I go sell Apple stock, I know at any given time what the exact fair value according to a willing buyer and a willing seller is. Well, for these private deals or for real estate deals, you don't, you don't necessarily know that. So you got to get appraisals. That's the first thing. Second thing is, and even bigger, if you've got a real estate guy that, that it, he has a portfolio, he's a wealthy guy who has a portfolio of real estate, mm-hmm. two, three billion dollars, and, and real estate goes up in value that year, he's literally going to have to sell, theoretically, 20% of his properties to be able to pay the tax. Yeah. You know, it's like the old uh, rancher analogy. He's, ca- he's land rich and cash poor. So it's not, he doesn't have that. So when you talk about a billion, $2 billion, the billionaire doesn't have $2 billion in his pocket. Yeah. It's, it's actually in investments. It's creating jobs. It's spreading out. Yeah. So you're actually going to put downward pressure on not only the stock market, not only real estate, but private equity, because these guys are going to have to sell stuff to pay the tax. You're going to create selling. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the problem I have with it. And one last thing, it, it, my biggest fear is it's going to catch the middle and upper middle class, these tax things, yeah. because these billionaires, they all have family foundations. They oh, don't yeah. pay any tax. They have it oh, in the yeah. family, like the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation right. or Warren Buffett. So they have it in the family foundation that grows tax-free as long as they give away 5% a year of the corpus. Mm-hmm. But if they grow it on average, like Don said, 8% a year, that thing actually compounds and it never gets cut in half. But it's not in their name. They don't own it. Right. It's a charitable organization. Yeah. And they can assign their kids or their family members are on the board and it grows in perpetuity for life. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is just a big sham. It's just a big smoke and mirrors. But for the people that don't do uh, complex tax planning, that don't come and talk to someone like me, they will have to pay a huge amount if this thing passes. Right. And it's going to be arbitrary. You're not going to know what it is Mm -hmm. and you're not, and you're going to create a lot of selling. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because every time normally when they name a bill, something off more often than not, it does just the opposite. So like that inflation reduction act they just passed is a whole bunch of spending by Congress. Well, you don't think spending is going to create more inflation. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is, is just nonsense. Anyway, well, listen, folks, uh, I hope you guys have a good weekend. I hope you uh, liked what you heard today. And I hope you liked that segment on natural gas because that is a trend that has already started. Yeah. But it does look sustainable and it does look like it has legs. And in full disclosure, we are in uh, LNG. We are in natural gas stocks. We're actually bird dogging and tracking one or two others uh, that we'd like to be in. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. So listen, if you if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, send them to revereasset.com. In the top right, they can sign up for subscribe, the subscribe button, and it'll set them up for this day, this weekly podcast right in their inbox. And they'll also get our daily market insight video, which is a short market video, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes long. Every night that the market is open, we're very transparent. We actually tell what we're doing. And, and and share that. We won't spam them or reach out to them in any way. And then the contact button. Folks, if you put a message in the contact button, you have to use your own email. 
don't use our emails because it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. I've got to go through the back, been to the back uh, side of the website to pull it out That's and right. find it. You got to go, go into the lab. And plus, then we don't know how to email you back and answer your comment or your message. We, we get people sending questions to Don and they put it at Don at Revere Asset thinking it's going to go to Don. You need to put your email in. It, I will forward it to Don. I get all of them. And then we can re- respond to your question. Anyway, you can also call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, we, oh, you can email us also either way. Michael at revereasset.com, Dan at revereasset.com, or Don at revereasset.com. If it's admin stuff, Mural at revereasset.com. Folks, have a good weekend. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you next week on Your Money. Barring any misconfusion or extrogenous events. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.